You're listening to the Try and Tackle podcast with your host, Province Sports Mobile Editor Patrick Johnston. Welcome back to the Try and Tackle podcast. Yes, Patrick Johnston here in the downtown Vancouver studios of the Province newspaper. And uh, apologies, as always, folks. I know we've been away for a while. We're back. We're going to try to keep this going. On this week's podcast, we talked to Samoa Sevens head coach Damien McGrath. We spoke to him about a week ago ahead of the London Sevens, just in the aftermath of uh, his team winning the Paris Sevens. Two teams that, uh, of course, Samoa and Canada, two teams that are slated, I think, by most people to be the finalists in next month's Monaco Sevens, the final qualifier for the Rio Summer Olympics. We'll talk to Damien up first, and then later on, a nice long discussion with old pal Curtis Reed from This Is American Rugby, and we'll be talking about the Canadian Sevens team, the American Sevens team, where things stand at uh, the end of the 2015-2016 World Rugby Sevens Series season, how both those teams did, how they stand up, and uh, we'll get into some discussion about pro rugby. It's going well. It looks like it's going really well. We'll talk about how things have played out uh, from Curtis's perspective. He's been able to go to several games. And uh, also uh, talk a little about maybe the future for the game in Canada. Sit back and enjoy. All right, first up, Damien McGrath joins us all the way from London. Like I said, recorded about a week ago. Canada beat Samoa in the London Sevens, of course, but uh, Samoa looking a little tired, a little ragged. Anyway, as Damien suggests, uh, he would rather have not played the, the game at all, kept his guys healthy. Here we go, Damien McGrath all the way from London. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure you're very busy and, uh, you know, being the, the toast of the town these days. Oh, uh, that's we're we're in London now, ready for the next one. So last week's all forgotten. <laughs> fair enough. It's only short lived. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, what I'm the main purpose of what I'm doing here is I'm writing sort of a story, trying to frame where Canada's at, and I felt like you guys were a good example because you know going into the year, I think a lot of us felt that your team and and Canada were probably going to be the main. Uh, contenders for that final spot at Rio. And so obviously to see you guys yeah. at yeah. this point s- seems to be peaking at the right point of the year. It seemed to me an easy one to do. Um, yeah. W- w- what do you think, if we look specifically at last weekend, w- what what went so well for you guys? Um, well, we, we got consistency in our performance. I, I think you have to go back to when I first got the job. I started on the 1st of September mm-hmm. and we we knew that the original Olympic repechage in, uh, sorry, the original Olympic qualifier in, in October of that year was too soon for us, and, right. and Australia would be, as as proved to be, would would be too strong. So uh, my trainer and I uh, set out a long term plan that we we would build our fitness um, to peak for the end of the year uh, and the and the Olympic repechage, mm. which we knew was coming in June. Um, so it was a, it was a gamble because people want instant results and they want right. uh, you know in, in these days of internet and fast food everybody wants it now um, and it was it was we we decided to do our fitness as we competed and try and build the team as we went along and 
you know, we got off to a slow start and we knew that we, you know, we'd had some heartache on the way, but we we felt confident if we could stick to uh, to a plan that we, we, we were looking to finish strongly by this May-June time. And I'm touching some wood as I'm saying this to you now that, you know, we, it seems to have, you know, worked out really well for us. Huh. Uh, I, I suppose that's an understatement. I, I remember in... <laughs> In uh, in March, you know, you were when you guys were coming to Vancouver and you were going to Las Vegas and you yeah. were, you were dealing with some injury problems. But I, I read an interview, I guess you had done, pre- I think, with someone in New Zealand where you said, you know, the time for excuses is over. Did that resonate the That's way? Right. Did that really resonate in the way that that you intended it to? I mean, I suppose the results say they did. Well, yes, I mean we. I, I tried to shield the players as much as I could. I, I used any little excuses as right. in the in the early months that you know that we we had a short preseason. And I, I, I tried to shield the players from from blame and blame it on on our preparation and how how it was going. And okay. you know, I looked to point out that it was an Olympic year and all the teams that had already qualified for the Olympics had you know were bringing in international stars and right. you know as New Zealand did and South Africa. So it, it was a, psychologically it was a it was a plan to keep the players away from um, you know too much finger pointing because Samoa is a is a tiny place but it's rugby mad and right. they're as happy as they are to um, to celebrate success they're very quick to point the finger there's no in between ground you're either mm. a success or a failure so I tried to keep the players away from that but. Obviously, then you get to a point in the year where you've you got to try, you've got to stand up and be counted. And we were, I could, I could see, you know, in Wellington and Sydney in January that things were starting to come together. And okay. um, Las Vegas was a was a real letdown for us. Um, we, we 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 beat Fiji for the first time. Anybody's beaten them in pool play for three years or whatever it was, uh, and we got off to a great start and then didn't win a game again until you know day three. Um, so. Our inconsistencies were starting to hurt us, and I knew we were a better team with that, and it was time to really, you know, to, for the players to stand up. And you know, we 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 built a, a really strong leadership group within the team by then, and it was, uh, you know, it, it, it's worked out for us. Uh, I suppose it's it's that's something to perhaps to consider was the the fact that you beat Fiji like that, and you know, I think surprising most of most observers and perhaps even yourselves. Do you think that was a lesson for the? For the boys in that, that you know, that each game is just a game, and no matter what the cost. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I said it. I said it yesterday when people were, were when 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 I was being interviewed after the games yesterday about you know why we suddenly you know got to a cup finally, and self belief is a is a huge thing, uh, and uh, you know getting the players to believe. I, I I'm more. I'm not just. I'm about why we do things as opposed to what and how. Mm. I. Uh, you know, I, I sell the dream to them, and and they understand. You know that what we're doing is for this reason and that reason, and you know once they start to, you know they they bought into what it was we were trying to do, how we were trying to play, and um, you know why we were doing what we were doing, and that that belief and and uh, faith in in our systems and and our practices, you know, we're starting it's it solidified, and and you know now it's um, it's a real strong point for us. Um. When we when we look at how you pick a team, and I know Ben Ryan's talked a lot about you know 
the fact that he has so many players to choose from, but that there's so many challenges in terms of, you know, chasing contracts in Europe or New Zealand or what have you and, and having to kind of keep the eyes on the prize with the squad, you know, and then of course money is always a factor in the islands. You know, what has been the biggest challenge for you having come in only, like you said, in September and having such a short window to kind of both get yourself acclimatized, but also just get yourself going. Well, it's been a, a both a cultural and a and a resource um, issue for me. It's yeah. um, we, we are a, we are a poor nation. It, it's a hundred eighty thousand people. That's all there are in Samoa. It's a tiny place, and you know, it, it, the finance is relative to that. You know, it's um, we we operate on a shoestring. The players are basically amateurs. You know, they they get paid an allowance, which is about ten pounds a day. You know, it's a pittance mm. really in comparison to what the other nations pay their players you know that so in terms of resources we we've had to manage ourselves and, and there's always that issue of um you know players going overseas because they can you know financially it's better for them but but culturally you know island life is is very different to to the western way of doing things you know the family and village and um and how young people are treated is is completely different to uh you know, to the West, um, if you know if that's the term you want to use, it it's it's very much a uh, you know young people are there to be seen and not heard, and you know older people are very dictatorial, and and, and it's a, an instruction type of society where I try to change that and give them a you know give them a say in what goes on and, mm. and get, trying to get some interaction, and you can't that doesn't happen overnight to get them to trust me and to trust that you know. My, I was approachable, and to get them, to, you know, to open up and do things has been, has been a, a real, not not an issue, but a real uh, challenge. You know, and it's only now that we're, a, you know, we're fully integrated in terms of, you know, the players trust that they can. You know, my doors are open all the time. It's open now as we're speaking. Yeah. The players could come in and chat, and you know, I, I encourage them to do that. And, but that's not something they've been used to. So, I mean, any coach has to talk about building trust with their players, but it sounds like this was a bit of a unique challenge. Oh, very much. And, and the, the language is, is another thing. You know, not all of them speak English. They, they understand a little bit, but I have to be careful. I don't speak too fast and, and yeah. I'm clear and concise in what I say. And, and, you know, what I think is funny, they don't necessarily think that funny and, you know, all those, all those sorts of things. Right. Because, you know, you, you can, you can make things a joke and a, and a, and a laugh and, and they look at you as well. You, You've just told the worst joke in the world, so it's it, they're, they're all challenges, and you've got to get used to and you know trial and error, try things that work. And but you know, as a as a group of boys, they're a very uh, very close knit group. Uh, maybe just the last question, you know that you know, like you said, you still have you still have next week, and then you have another you know big tournament to prepare for. What? What is the yeah. what is the discussion going to be in the next you know six you know next week and then the next six weeks as you guys prepare for that that final tournament? Well, I, we, we you know um, Monaco and the repechage has never been far from our thoughts. It's it, it's something that we I always remind the players that we're building towards, and you know as we get closer now we 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 met tonight, and I'm sure Canada who are just down the corridor are doing exactly the same way. You know, we, we see this as a stepping stone into um, the Olympic qualifier in two or three weeks' time, or whatever it is. Um, 
if I if I had a choice, I'd like to wrap the players in cotton and take them home now, and then yeah. just be ready for for Monaco. <laughs> but because we have, we've only got we only have a thirteen man squad, so any injuries would be a, a disaster for us. But um, uh, you know, the other the other challenge that we have to deal with is that we're, we're not the other guys anymore. Now we're now you know a, a team that's there to be shot at. You know we've we've set a, a standard that we have to try and maintain and. People will judge us on whether you know we're a one-hit wonder or whether we can you know maintain the levels we, we reached um, last weekend. Uh, I mean, you say 13-man squad. You know, going into the repechage, are you expecting to be able to add any more players, any professionals, or anything like that? Or are you just going with this no, group? No, no, not no. It's the same group that we that we play with every week. There's there's no new players. Um, so that's uh, the country thing. That's disappointing. I'm. You know, I'm happy with the, with the players we have. These, you know, I'm confident we can do a good job with those boys. These are your Olympians, after all. They are, they are indeed. Yeah. All right, Damien. Thanks a lot. Thanks for your time. Uh, maybe I'll try to check in with you a as pleasure. things go forward. And and uh, and uh, you know, like I said, it was it was funny there to discover that you knew Paul, and and that was kind of what the impetus. And I wish I'd kind yeah. of been a bit yeah. more uh, proactive earlier. But anyway, here we are. <laughs> okay. No worries. Anytime. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Bye. All right, welcome back. It's uh, Curtis Reed joining us as uh, as well as I think almost always. Curtis, how you doing? Doing well yourself? Yeah, it's been a while. I'm good. I'm good. You know. Uh, somehow survived a long and unsuccessful Canadian Seven season, but the the women, of course, uh, have uh, have a chance to kind of bump themselves off the rankings and finish off their own season on a high note. So can't complain. Lots happening. I wrote, I think I've written four or five things for the site this week. So what can I say? Very good. You're prolific. Well, I'm trying to be anyway. Lots to do. Lots of time. And uh, you know, as I mentioned off the top, uh, apologies to everybody for having taken so long to get in back in on this. But uh, here we are. We're gonna once again promise to do a better job or i will promise to do a better job i i don't mean to group you in with my uh inability to record podcasts well i should say you know you should tell the listeners that uh you do have a big moment coming up that patrick is tying the knot so well, that's true yes and that and i, I don't, did I don't want to go in on your personal life too much here it's all right i i did ask I did ask Rugby Canada to reschedule the Japan game because, of course, that's the day I'm getting married. But uh, they politely declined. Lack of uh, lack of power. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Curtis, uh, let's. What do you want to go first? You want to talk sevens? Or you want to talk pro rugby? What do you think? I think let's talk. Let's talk sevens. Just the okay. uh, season just finished up. Yeah, got the big repechage. People already looking forward to the Olympics. Let's do it. All right. Uh, as I wrote uh, today, looking back on the weekend, you know, I talked to a couple of the guys and, you know, admittedly still not a result they were happy with, uh, you know, never made the cup round, uh, a weird season with lots of some really interesting high moments, but a lot of frustrating moments. Uh, you know, they, they gave a lot. Of, in the end, Liam Middleton gave a fair amount of time to his younger players and it was a bit of a developing year and a weird year to be doing developing when you're trying to build towards a, an Olympic qualifier, but you know what? They finished on a somewhat high note. They played some rugby. They actually played some decent defense. 
couldn't beat whales, which was an ongoing issue, and you know, in this certain level, is literally their own dragon that they will have to slay one day. But uh, I, I don't know, man. A funny year, not a good year, you know, in terms of results. I suppose if you can say, listen, they got to play a bunch of players who hadn't played a lot before. Okay, that's that's a small positive. Phil Burna sort of emerged as a bit of a solid player off the bench. Matt Mullins got a nice long distance try. You know, Adams Rubin, I think, really settled in as that big winger out there. But in the end, we can see what this team is lacking. And as you have commented more than once to me, they really need to find a Perry Baker type. And that maybe segues yeah. us over to you. I mean, that was the Sean Duke of four years ago. Yeah. You could send the ball out to Sean Duke and he could just finish. Um, that's what won them the NACRA Sevens, you know, what was it, four years back, five years back in Ottawa. Just, you know, tossing it out to Sean Duke and letting it go wild. Um, I think, you know, Canada, they didn't, as you mentioned, they didn't do very well on the year, but at the same time, you see them get results. And I think that's the characteristic of the sevens season is that outside of maybe say Portugal, you have every single team in that competition can pull off an upset on any given day. And so that final 12 that you're going to have in Rio is going to be absolutely stacked except for maybe Brazil. And I think that that lack of complete uncertainty, it makes it exciting. It makes it uh, thrilling for fans heading into Rio. You know, if Canada are able to get through the repechage, you know, they have a tough pool, one they should win, but a tough pool. And then if they get past Samoa, who, like many other teams on the year, have had a high and then a low, you know, you win the cup, then you're in the, the bowl competition the next week. So, um, you know, if they can get past the moment and into the field, you know, all it takes is uh, three good pool games and then an upset in the quarterfinal and, you know, you're playing for a medal. So yeah. it's, uh, I think Canada showed a lot of positives on the year. You know, maybe towards the end, they're starting to build for, for later on. Injuries had a lot to do with it as well. But, um, you know, I, it's hard to really say that one team, if they make it to Rio outside of Brazil, doesn't really have much of a chance because anything can happen. It's, uh, it is going to be an exciting competition, and I, I can't wait because, as you said, it's going to be so narrow, and, and you know, it's going to be you – know, it's, a, it's a really long schedule, I mean, between the men and the women, I suppose, but the way they've kind of they're, – they're trying to really build up for maximum value, and I, I'm really excited about it. You you bring up the Monaco qualifier in in four weeks time and you know the Canadian squad you know despite everything despite you know I think John Moonlight ran out of gas by the end of the year you know a couple other guys were looking pretty tired by the end uh, you know despite that despite the fact that you know yes Nate Hiriyama has got it going to have a damaged hand and he's he's trying to press through it and he thinks he can play and Connor Trainer did some kind of hand fracture himself in London and. You've got Nanyak Dalla trying to make it back. You know, if they can get him in, he's such a huge X factor. But of course, he's had such a terrible run of injuries the last couple of seasons. You wonder how much is really going to be left there. Um, but nonetheless, they've got four weeks to get healthy, get sorted. Uh, they, they're getting close to that 12 that will take them all the way. They might have Kieran Hearn in the mix. They might have Taylor Paris in the mix. You know, two other players that could bring a real X factor to their lineup. It's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting go here. Samoa's pool is tough. They have uh, a tough Zimbabwe team. They have a tough 
uh, I, what we presume will be a tough Irish team. It's so strange. There's no news out of the Irish rugby union. So, you know, they had a training camp in, in March in Spain, but against Spain, who, you know, you and I regularly sort of throw up as being who was the, who was, was any team worse than Spain in the last two years? And it's hard to say anybody was Spain their last go two two seasons ago. I think it was, were just absolutely terrible. So I don't even know what to think about that Irish team. We think they could be good, but the fact is they, they won't have a lot of game time. Uh, it, it's going to be an interesting competition though. None, nonetheless. Yeah. You've seen a lot of teams, Ireland, Germany, Germany's played all over the world. Um, this last year, getting ready for this tournament. And if team like Canada or Samoa are not careful, they could easily find themselves in, in a poor position. But at the same time, in terms of gaining fluidity and continuity, a tournament like this might actually be good for Canada. Um, this has happened to the U.S. a couple of times where you have the opportunity to kind of get those nerves out, get that first hit out against a team that you can make mistakes again against. Um, and then recognize what you're doing wrong so that when you face a, a more difficult team, you're a little bit more fluid. Um, that, I think, kind of runs in favor of Canada going into this tournament, but there certainly are uh, trip-up points. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, the one thing that I, I haven't been able to determine is what how the, the day two schedule works in terms of how the quarterfinals are matched up, and I, I suspect they're probably going to try to keep it... Uh, so that uh, Canada and Samoa are at least away from each other, because uh, if you end up with a semifinal in those two those two groups, and all of a sudden you end up with, I mean, Russia have been a good team. I don't think I don't want to take anything away from them, but uh, you know, given the narrative everybody seems to want, uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Uh, yeah, I think they did do seedings ahead of time, and so yeah. I think tried to. Yeah, but you know, as, as you never we, know, one upset and it could throw off their yeah. seasons, and you have somebody meeting yeah earlier uh, than expected. Absolutely, absolutely. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, you know, Americans finally got back in the cup round. I, I I know Mike Friday wasn't terribly happy with how the the last four tournaments really went for his squad. I have to think that uh, his group was feeling a bit banged up. I, I did notice that uh, the dynamic of not having. You know the the aisles for Baker switch up or or vice versa as an option. I, I really felt like that really did take some uh, some power out of the out of their sails. Uh, is is that kind of how you see things? Yeah, I think they got a little tired. You have to remember some of these players like Zach Test played in the World Cup right. too. You know they've been going nonstop for two years now. By the time the Olympics come around, they'll be nonstop for two years. Um, so they, they did seem a little tired. Um, you know, I, and I think you hit it on the head that, that aisles for Baker thing, you know, as much as Perry Baker has, has stolen the show, it's easy to forget how much Carlin Isles has grown as a rugby player. Mm-hmm. Is he perfect? No, you know, there are still things there, but you know, he makes smart decisions now. He, he might not throw a pass where Perry Baker is still learning. He made Perry Baker is known to maybe throw some some Hail Mary type passes, maybe not to the egregious nature of Danny Barrett pass. Oh my God! <laughs> but uh, well, I will I'll come back to Danny Barrett and defend him in just a minute for that pass. But um, you know, you really think they miss Carlin Isles and they miss that speed and 
and just being able to run opponents to the ground. You know, Carlin Isles has that quick little step that I think gives him a bit of an advantage over, over Perry Baker. Perry Baker's quick, uh, but Carlin Isles has that acceleration that, that changes things. And so just having him back and healthy, uh, people have asked me about it. He's just, you know, they're just trying to get him healthy. Um, better not risk it sort of situation. You know, think when he comes back and they've got Andrew Duratallo coming back into camp to try to earn a place. I think, you know, by the time all said and done, they're going to be healthy and they're going to be ready to go. I really liked uh, Mike Friday's quote at the end of uh, the third place game there on Sunday. He said, this sevens game is brutal, absolutely ruthless if you're not quit on your game. And we saw both sides of that today. Uh, in many ways, such a summation of the whole season. You know, we, we ended up with, uh, with you know, Scotland winning the London Sevens. We saw Kenya win the Singapore Sevens. Uh, it was a, it, we saw, uh, you know, an absolutely sensational Samoa win the week before. Uh, it's been an amazing year. I mean, I know a lot of the, you know, the, the Rio factor has really changed things up and, and had been a factor in terms of how teams were selected. And, you know, not every week was that the strongest team, but the fact that there was so much... Uh, such a push up from sort of the mid range into that top echelon. I, it was such a fantastic season overall, and uh, you know, I mean, I, I thought the American performance was was so much in tune with that, and it was an exciting thing to follow. Even if uh, you know, by 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 reputation, I'm supposed to cheer against them. Yeah, and, and I think just seeing their mental growth and the way that they approach the game and how they've become rugby players is really something to see. Um, you got to give Mike Friday, Chris Brown, and the staff a lot of credit. They've really taken a lot of those players to rugby school. They always had the physical talent, just like Canada. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find more physical teams than the U.S. and Canada. I mean, they're just massive athletes, both of them. Um, but you've seen them really turn into rugby players. And, and this is where I will come in and defend Danny Barrett. You know, there's only seconds left on the clock. You know you need a try if you go out into touch. Scotland's just going to uh, hold on to the ball and and kick it out, so why not, you know? And I think that kind of go-for-broke attitude, even though it didn't work out in that case, I think that kind of go-for-broke attitude has really served the U.S. well. Um, and I think it's something that if Canada could put into their mentality, they may actually see a little bit more success. It was uh, notable, I think, that to me, even even in a you know sort of disappointing run out to the New Zealand season, that they did so well. And even so, you know, Gordon Titchen talks about how we've got all these rugby players, but we don't have a lot of sevens players, and yet he's still able to find guys like Reiko Yuani, who scored ten tries in London. And, 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 you know, Canada, people say, well, why can't they do this? Why can't they? I'm like, because in the end, the Canadian team is good workmanlike. They have their moments team, but they're, they're lacking a bit of star power. You know, their, their, their veteran players are getting a bit older. Uh, they don't necessarily have the pull away speed that a player who's 20, 21 has. I thought Justin Douglas had a really nice tournament in London. I thought he, he was actually a, uh, I don't know if surprise is the word, but he he really delivered in a way I'm not sure we've seen before. He played with a calmness and a control that uh, that 
was nice to see. Not that he'd ever been a wild child, but that he'd just been a fast guy. And he played a very, he was a real influence on defense, I think. He was a really useful player on attack. Uh, as a quick guy on the inside, he had a really nice understanding with Harry Jones. Um, but in the end, you know, they don't have a lights out fast guy. Uh, or at least they don't have enough lights out fast guys. So to to me, uh, you know, it, it, that's the biggest thing we other thing we learned about the USA. And we saw Madison Hughes's emergence this year. I think really this year, but I mean, he was you know obviously a key player last year. But the the that try he scored to win the game against Fiji was a was a perfect play. I mean, the guy saw a hole, put the ball there, and the weight was perfect, and he just he just ran the perfect line, and there was no recovering for Fiji, and he scored a try, and he did what he needed to do, and that's what great players do, and he is a great player. And and right now, Canada need to find their next great player. And, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've got some guys in the mix that have been great players and that are still very, very, very good players. But, you know, like any sports team, you need to keep cycling in new players and new, new youth. And maybe one of the young guys that, that Liam Middleton was trying to bring through is one of those guys. But I, I don't think there's anybody quite yet on, quite yet on, on the horizon, I would say, that is of that quality. But we'll see how things play out. Well, a quick question for you. Yeah. I mean, Maybe this could be my ignorance of Canadian track and field, so apologies if I if I don't uh, sound educated. But when you look at Carlin Isles and then you look at the depth of the the U.S. track and field team, I mean he wasn't going to make the Olympics, right? So rugby is an attractive option for him. My question would be if Canada doesn't have that much depth in terms of track and field as the U.S. Would it be possible for, say, an older track player who still has blazing fast speed, but the next Olympic cycle might be on the cusp of the Canadian track and field team, but not an automatic? Do you think it would be possible to lure a player like that into the Canadian squad and develop them for the next four years a la Carlin Isles? We we just don't have the infrastructure that you guys have when it comes to to comes to track yeah i mean we do end up with some really nice long distance runners especially um and occasionally stars but the reality is is that our athletes that do you do see in the olympics the decathletes and the and the hurdlers and and you know the the javelin throwers end up being ncaa athletes and that's kind of it but we don't have that many and it's not uh, we just don't have that same sort of tradition of, of, of athletes chasing that dream either. And we don't have that same kind of, uh, I don't know quite how to put it, broad range of options that, that athletes in the, in the States have as they're coming up through high school. It's just, it's, it's a geography question. It's a, it's a critical, you know, we just don't have enough people in any one area necessarily to make things like that happen. So, you know, our, our track stars tend to be sort of self-created Andre de Grasse, who, you know, may turn some heads, this summer in Rio in the 100 meters, Andre de Grasse is kind of self-taught. You know, he ended up going to college and 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 made it all work, but but wasn't somebody that was like, you know, at age 13, 14, was there a high school coach and said, I'm going to make you into the next great sprinter. Um, and so if that's kind of the top end, well, you can imagine there is no bottom end. Uh, there are lots of athletes, and Rugby Canada has, especially in the last couple of years, looked at building some crossover athletes you know, there are examples, you know, Hubert Biden's played college football. Jeff Hassler played college or university football. Uh, um, Jason Marshall played university football. 
uh, you know, there's a, there are examples of guys like that. They have set up a scouting system, a formalized scouting system that they didn't really have before, and they're really focusing in now on high school athletes and saying, listen, you know, they want to do everything that we've managed to do to some degree over the years and something that Mike Friday has talked about the, the U.S. needs to do more of, which is we've managed to, for a long time, make rugby a complementary sport in high school and at university, a sport that you do sort of in your other time so that it's something you're familiar with that when, you know, crunch time comes in your mid-20s when you're we're looking to put, you know, you on the field as a national team or you have some experience, it's not coming out of nowhere. But, uh, you know, and, and on the women's side, Megan Lukens a great example of that. She was a collegiate basketball player, played five years at Wisconsin Green Bay, uh, I, I believe is their all-time leading scorer. Um, and she had played a bit of high school rugby, but basically was a basketball player. She was on the Bas- Canada basketball elite pathway, and she finished college. And, and Sandra Fiorino, who's the national women's team's uh, assistant coach, had ke- basically kept in touch with her and said, if you ever want to try to be an Olympic rugby sevens player, we've got the option here for you. And she basically finished uh, last May, a year ago. Uh, she finished her high, uh, her collegiate career. She graduated from, from college and basically was on the next plane to Victoria and was playing. Uh, she actually played in the Amsterdam Sevens out of nowhere. She basically had played, maybe had one week of practice. And they said, we want to get you on this train. And she's been a, a key contributor uh, all season because she's a great athlete. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the men's side now, they're trying to do things, but, but, uh, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of things that need to happen on, in men's rugby in general. There's a bit of a cultural shift that needs to happen, we, you know, and I think there's a lot of places in this country where uh, there's a lot of people really trying some really, they're working really hard to keep the game going. Um, but at the same time, there's also a lot of effort being made in, in perhaps not the most efficient ways. And now, we're trying to get people on the same page. And uh, so, you know, the men's game, they, they've got some work to do. There's definitely some talent there, but it's about uh, connecting the talent with the belief and connecting the coaches with the belief and with the talent and really trying to build something out there. And, and we'll see how things play out because there's definitely a lot of people that still love playing rugby in this country. And uh, the, the sevens, men's sevens team, you know, I mean, if they make Rio, that'll be amazing. If they don't, you know, it's going to next year, no matter what, next year was going to be a hard season. You know, the guys that are, the, the vet, some of those veteran players are not going to be around next year. And there's going to be a lot of opportunity. And, you know, it was important that they got the younger guys in as, in as much rugby this year as they did, but they still have a long way to go if we're, if we're talking about the 2016, 2017 version of the Canadian men's seventh team. Yeah. And on the U S side too, and maybe this will segue into our next topic, but it's going to be fascinating to see what happens with a lot of the players on the men's sevens team for both the U.S. and Canada now that uh, pro rugby is, is here and, and is doing decently well. So, well, let's let's yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, that's that's a great great you know pitch by you. And I know you were down. Uh, you've you've been to a few different uh, locales. I know you were down in, in San Francisco a week and a bit ago. And I know you you spotted and spoke to Jim Dixon from Rugby Canada. And apologies, folks. Curtis supplied me with some audio, and I've been meaning to get it up on the site, and I just haven't have time. But uh, that will be up uh, sort of any time now. And and you know, it's clear that Rugby Canada is paying attention. That they're in, they're interested. I mean, they were they were interested the whole time. But I think they they were a bit more hesitant. There's there's some internal political reasons behind it too. The the Canadian Rugby Championship is something they've been really pushing, and they really see as important in their pathway. But uh, you know, I I get the feeling that in 2017 we will see at least one, probably two Canadian teams, a, a Vancouver team and a Toronto team, 
And, and, you know, that will then ask questions, well, what do they do with the Canadian Rugby Championship? Because that effectively will take two teams out of that and you'll be left with a team in Calgary and a, and a team in, in, at least in theory, a team in Calgary that's been a very successful program. The Prairie Wolf Pack, of course, their head coach is now, you know, Graham Moffat is now an assistant coach with the national team and, and the Atlantic Rock, which has been a longstanding solid program, which has been a target for players in that end of the country to play in. And so all of a sudden, you're sort of in a rock and a hard place. You can't have all four teams in there and you want to have two teams in there. So what are you going to do? It's going to be interesting to watch. I don't think there's going to be an easy, fun answer. I think there's going to be some people that are upset about it. But certainly from my vantage point, and, and, you know, having watched how things have gone and, and spoken, you know, obviously fairly often with Phil McKenzie, who's fully on board with what's going on there. Uh, it really looks like it's 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 worked and it's taken hold. And obviously there's still growing pains to come. But uh, I, I'd say pro rugby, uh, even, even you know, only partway through their first season is a success. I would agree. I think it's a success. Um, it was really hard to gauge, you know, how it was going to do before the season. I mean, what determines success is you have people like the old NRFL folks that are saying if you don't get 60,000 people, it's not a success. Um, Then you get others that are saying if it just happens at all, period, it's a success. So to kind of see where it's come out in a middle ground, you're getting about 2,000, sometimes on a good day, 2,500 fans out to games. Um, You know, it's it's. It's just been a game changer overall. A lot of things now in the U.S., and I suspect in Canada when it shows up, are going to have to shift to pro rugby. There's a lot of, you know, some clubs are happy, some are not. Um, But for better or worse, I think for the better, pro rugby is here, and it's going to stick around for the next few years. Uh, have you heard anything else about sort of the super rugby dynamic? I mean, I know that the, I haven't exactly had anything fresh on that, but you know, you just have that feeling that there's certainly interest here. I know that they feel like they have to keep expanding. So where's the next target? Well, you kind of assume probably a place like the West coast of North America. Uh, have you, have you heard anything else uh, on that regard? I haven't heard any, uh, major rumblings. Uh, I know a lot of those discussions were held with Nigel Melville, who is now leaving. So um, I think, you know, it's hard to figure out exactly all the time what Sanzar wants to do. Yeah. They want money, but exactly what that means is, is unclear. But you would have to think that the West Coast of the United States makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think from the last things that I've read, they wouldn't expand anyways until 2019, 2020. So that yeah. gives pro rugby in both the U.S. and Canada a few years to establish itself. Um, and develop better players. I think that's the main drawback is, is the players. Um, but I hope that the people expanding into Super Rugby, and I think I've written on this some and so have you, I hope they understand the dynamic of North American sports and what constitutes uh, an event. <laughs> yeah, Because I think that when you go around the world, and I think this is what Pro Rugby to some extent, even though it's run by Americans. Um, I think Steve Lewis considers himself American, even though he's a proud Scot. Uh, you know, I think they're learning that American sports fans like sports a certain way. And as much as we want to adopt rugby and adopt soccer and all these sports that didn't originate here, you know, we got to make things and tailor it to, to us. So it's not just enough to have brand name rugby players 
you're probably not going to get butts in the seats if it's just Mills, Mulyaina. You know, you may get some, but you need a, a whole team of stars. And and I don't think the U.S. and Canada would see much success in Super Rugby if they were not bolstered somehow with stars onto their rosters. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like, yeah, 2020, I think, is the when I sort of saw as being the earliest window now. I mean, 2019 is something I'd heard, but I, I think 2020 makes the most sense, certainly for a new team, and we'll see where that goes. But, uh, you know, I think in that window, pro rugby's chance to kind of stake out its claim and, and really set itself up is is there and uh as you said i think the model works i think they've managed to kind of keep it light and but keep it bright um and and they've they've gone with a different marketing approach it's almost entirely social media i mean the teams do have websites now i see but but the the point is is that they're trying to push it out there in a way that uh is connecting with people that might not necessarily know that there is professional rugby but have an interest and and as you said, they've they they managed to find. I think you said before they managed to find the right venues for the most part. I mean that, uh, you know, the, the the venue in San Diego looks like a really fun place to play rugby, and uh, it's a fun place. It, uh, I've been down there, and it's a fun place. Um, you know, all like you said, I haven't been to Ohio. Um, I haven't been to Colorado's new stadium, Denver's new stadium, but they found the right venues, and I think they just need time to feel things out and to see how things go, to see which players are ready to play, which venues are are ready, which is going to work. And so I think with time, you're going to have storylines emerge. You're going to have teams become dynasties. Maybe that's Denver. Um, You're going to have players that fly under the radar now. Maybe in three years' time will be legends. You know, Phil McKenzie could be, the first legend uh, of pro rugby based on his play. So I, I think, you know, just seeing it play out is, is exciting because we've never had this before. So seeing it play out and seeing who emerges as, as a star and the different storylines, I think that's really what rugby needs to take off. You know, just look at the NBA or even the NFL. Yes, they were popular before the Super Bowl and before Celtics versus the Lakers. But when you finally get those storylines and those dynamics of Bird versus, you know, Magic and Joe Namath in the Super Bowl, that's when those sports really take off. Um, and I think pro rugby just needs to wait for something like that to happen to them. I think the smart thing, for instance, has been latching onto a guy like Phil McKenzie, who's a bright guy and who's got a big personality. And, and you know, I, I think we can think of a lot of other sports where there are people who are are big personalities, but maybe aren't necessarily the sharpest tack. But I think the fact that Phil is able to kind of play it as it comes, can think on his feet, is fully, fully behind what he's doing. And, and everything he says is what he really means. Uh, it, it has been a huge boon for them. And I, I, and like he said, people have said to him on the street, holy, holy crap, nice game on the weekend there, Dragon. And, and he's like, no one's ever said that to me before. And, and I mean, which, you know, is, I think a certain level, a credit to American culture, which it was funny. I was down in, in Seattle on the weekend with, with Candace and we both were kind of commenting on, you know, it's kind of fun. We like talking to Americans because Americans are happy to have a chat. I mean, sometimes it's like, it can be a tad or nothing, but people are just, they're in a good mood. You know, life's good 
And and uh, I know that's you know not true of everybody, but you could find people in the states I think a little bit easier who are just a little bit more willing to to banter than necessarily is always the case in Canada. People in Canada can be a little bit off put if you actually start talking to them and they'll they'll have a conversation with you, but they're not necessarily ready to go. And I, and I you know it was funny to hear Phil's story because I was like you know what that's something that I don't think is uncommon in the U.S. And, uh, and, and so from that standpoint, it makes sense. I think in Canada, the transition might be easier because the hardcore here is so much more concentrated and so much, it's so strong. Um, and, and I think, you know, there's a desire and a hunger for it to have it happen. And I know there's people who are interested in being involved. And like I said, we'll see how that plays out, but, uh, certainly all signs point to it being a thing, uh, north of the border in 2017. Yeah. And I think it really comes down to, making the competition stronger in terms of depth. Um, Phil McKenzie, Hubert Bidens, Nick Blevins, they all make the competition stronger. And if you can bring in 30, 40 more strong domestic players, it's just going to make the competition better and the comp- and uh, the viewing that much more compelling. All right, Curtis. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I just, I do have to say just quickly along the, those Phil McKenzie lines, you know, Phil, He's drawn to the opportunity to start in a league, but he's also drawn to living back in North America. Mm-hmm. I think when we look at pro rugby in five years' time, I think that's really going to be the difference, is you're going to have players that could maybe play overseas and make you know a little bit more money. Not a lot, because these are rugby salaries we always have to remember. You know, If you're a middle-of-the-squad the player in England, your salary is not going to be terribly different from what it might be if you're one of the top-end players in America. But you can come over to America you or Canada, have a very nice lifestyle. Sometimes it's cheaper to live. And you don't always have a culture that is suffocating in terms of history and, and rugby. So you have the opportunity to kind of create a new name for yourself and a, a new identity and, and have a good time. And I think in five years' time, you're going to see a lot more players in the league just because of that, and the depth is going to be so much um, better. All right, Curtis, uh, we're, we're going to check in again soon. Obviously, we've got the June test coming up, and we didn't have time to get to that, but Canada's named their squad. The Americans have named their squad. Uh, we'll, we'll come back, obviously, and have to try to talk about that maybe even next week. Uh, seems obvious so i'm trying not to promise things i can't deliver but i want to make sure it happens so there we go let's maybe try to hold ourselves to that shall we yeah works for me (laughs) all right folks uh he is curtis reed of course this is american rugby.com at this this is amer rugby on twitter i'm at rising action you can find me on facebook facebook.com slash try and tackle curtis has got a similar setup for his uh his his blog and uh, you know what? You can find us in iTunes. Just search for Try and Tackle. If you're not using iTunes, there's links on the page. Curtis, we'll see you next week. Yep. All right, folks. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Province Sports Try and Tackle podcast with your host, Province Sports Mobile Editor Patrick Johnston. Find this and other great sports podcasts in iTunes or subscribe using your favorite podcast app by clicking the links available on theprovincepodcasts.com.